Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class. It's July 20th. The first International Special Olympics was held on this day in 1968. At this point in history, it was very common for people with disabilities to be housed in institutions. And a lot of times these institutions had just appalling conditions. Even if they were called a school, it wasn't really about educating anyone. It was just about keeping people away from the public eye. People who were kept at home also tended to be kept out of sight from the rest of the community and sometimes even secret. It was really rare to see a person with any kind of visible disability out in public, both because of all the social stigma that surrounded the whole idea and because communities just were not accessible. There were some people, though, that really started working to change that. This included Eunice Kennedy Shriver and Anne McGon Burke. Shriver was the sister of John F., Robert F., and Ted Kennedy. And they also had another sister named Rosemary, who had an intellectual disability that was treated with a lobotomy in 1941. Today, we know that this was not an appropriate treatment for her at all. But at the time, the lobotomy was often recommended as a treatment for a range of mental and cognitive issues. Shriver, though, was the director of the Joseph P. Kennedy Jr. Foundation. And that was a foundation that began focusing more and more of its efforts on people who had cognitive and intellectual disabilities. She did a lot of work, and she did a lot of advocacy with her brothers, who, as politicians, had the ability to pass laws that would help this situation. She also just wanted to combat all of this social stigma and the segregation and isolation of children with intellectual disabilities. One of the things that she did was to establish a summer camp in 1962. And one of the goals of this camp was to get a better sense of what these children could do instead of focusing on what they could not. This led to year-round athletics programs for young people with intellectual disabilities. While Shriver is the person that is most often associated with the founding of Special Olympics, Burke was highly instrumental in expanding its scope and its scale. In March of 1968, Shriver and the Chicago Park District announced the first Olympic Games for young people with intellectual disabilities. These first games were held at Soldier Field in Chicago on July 30th of 1968. A thousand young athletes from the United States and Canada competed, and they competed in more than 200 events. Special Olympics Incorporated was formed later on in 1968, and today it's a global organization that holds events all over the world, and millions of young athletes participate. Today, there's some debate about the Special Olympics. The field of education has moved toward trying to place children into the least restrictive environment that still meets their needs. So, as often as possible, placing them in classrooms with their non-disabled peers instead of in classrooms that are segregated from everyone else. So there's a lot of discussion about whether it's really helpful to segregate children with intellectual disabilities into their own separate event. There are a lot of other specific criticisms as well, including whether today Special Olympics perpetuates more stereotypes than it helps to dispel. However, though, it's clear that the Special Olympics and Eunice Kennedy Shriver's work outside of the Olympics were monumentally important in starting to combat some of the stigma surrounding disability. And this included advocacy that led to some of the first laws that protected people with disabilities and helped guarantee them equal access to facilities and education. 
Thanks so much to Eve's Jeff Coat for her research work on today's episode and to Tari Harrison for her audio skills on all of these episodes. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for a show trial that's full of monkey business. Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we uncover the remnants of history every day. The day was July 20th, 1969. U.S. astronauts Neil Armstrong and Edwin Buzz Aldrin became the first people on the moon when Apollo 11 landed on its surface. In the late 1950s and the 1960s, the space race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union was in full swing. In 1961, not long after the Soviet Union and U.S. sent the first people into space, U.S. President John F. Kennedy declared before Congress his commitment to landing someone on the moon before the end of the decade. So NASA dedicated the Apollo program to Kennedy's mission. The first uncrewed Apollo spaceflight launched in 1966, and the first crewed flight was Apollo 7 in October of 1968. Apollo 7 tested the Apollo Command and Service Module in low Earth orbit. The Apollo program went on to send astronauts to orbit the moon and tested the lunar module while in Earth orbit. In Apollo 10, the Apollo lunar module was flown into a descent orbit in a dry run for the first moon landing, which would happen two months later. On the morning of July 16, 1969, Apollo 11 launched from Cape Kennedy. Commander Neil Armstrong, lunar module pilot Buzz Aldrin, and command module pilot Michael Collins were aboard. On July 17th, the first color TV transmission from Apollo was sent to Earth. On July 19th, the spacecraft went into lunar orbit. And on July 20th, Armstrong and Aldrin entered the lunar module, which separated from the command module where Collins remained in lunar orbit. 102 hours, 45 minutes, and 40 seconds after launch, the lunar module Eagle landed on the moon. Hours after landing, Armstrong left the lunar module and stepped onto the moon, setting up the TV camera for transmission back to Earth. About 20 minutes later, Aldrin also exited the lunar module and took his first steps on the moon. About 650 million people watched the mission on television as the astronauts became the first ever to walk on the moon. They took photographs of the moon's surface and the lunar horizon, took samples of lunar surface materials, and planted a U.S. flag. They also left behind medallions with astronauts and cosmonauts who died in accidents, as well as a silicon disk that contained goodwill messages from 73 countries. The astronauts spoke with President Richard Nixon by telephone link. After the two astronauts re-entered the lunar module and slept for about seven hours, they began their ascent from the lunar surface. Aldrin and Armstrong spent 21 hours and 36 minutes on the surface of the moon. The lunar module docked with Command Module Columbia, and Armstrong and Aldrin went back to the command module with Collins. On July 24th, the Apollo 11 crew landed in the Pacific Ocean about 900 miles, or 1,400 kilometers, southwest of Hawaii. The USS Hornet was the primary recovery ship for Apollo 11. 
The astronauts were sent to the Lunar Receiving Laboratory at NASA's Lyndon B. Johnson Space Center for quarantine. The astronauts' moon landing and return to Earth was celebrated with parades, a state dinner, and a world tour. Collins, Aldrin, and Armstrong were each given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Five later Apollo missions also landed astronauts on the moon. The whole Apollo program cost around $26 billion. Though a lot of people celebrated the feat, many Americans protested the allocation of so much money and resources to accomplishing a moon landing when there were pressing issues to attend to on Earth. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Get more notes from history on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Tune in tomorrow for another day in history. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.